0: This episode of the Better Two podcast is brought to you by Kitty Mystic and DM Needham, author of My Days with the Dark Muse, as well as Love Is Worth Waiting For. Hi, gang. Donna here. Thanks for tuning in to the Better Two podcast. Today's guest is Pinya Drescher. Pinya and I, well, we talk about mom. And no, we don't have the same mom, though sometimes I think when we were talking, you might think we did because, well, you know, those Hallmark movies where mom is just so supportive and loving and caring and wonderful and all these good, lovely things. Well, some of you guys already know that my mom wasn't the best and she did what she could do. And I'm not going to falter for it because that was who she was, but Penny and I kind of bonded over that. And while we're not the same age we, and we grew up different culturally, there's certain, some, some, certainly some similarities between her mother and my mother. And well, you know, how do I say it's okay? We ended up coming out of it on the other side and we've learned and we're still learning. So today, I hope you gain something in this episode with the information we provide. So enjoy Hi,
1: Hanya. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing very good.
0: Good. Um, So, you know, I'm going to dive right in. I'm not going to mess around today because you actually have a topic that, you know, I can kind of relate to. You have a piece that you wrote for Medium that was pretty, pretty powerful when I read it. We were going to do this interview a couple of times and scheduling problems happened. So now we're here, which I'm very happy to hear, you know, that you're here and we get to talk about this. So your mom, was kind of a mom that was, you know, we, we, we see in the media and we see on TV, the mother daughter relationships that are usually very, um, kumbaya, very supportive and mom's there for you. Mom's there to help you. Mom's there to teach you things, but that's not really the normal thing for, for quite a bit of people.
1: Well, I wouldn't really know what normal is because my reality is mine, but I do read in books and I do uh, listen to my friends talk about their mothers. And most of the times I cannot relate. I will relate with you if you talk about your mother and tell me that you had a bad relationship with your mother and, and what it was like and how painful it was, then I will understand you. But if you tell me, like my husband, He came from a wonderful family, a loving mother. And to this day, he doesn't understand what I went through. Sometimes I get upset with him because I want him to understand. But unless you lived it and you felt it, there's just no way that you can understand. You read in books and you say, gee, that's terrible. Or you listen to your friend, gee, that's bad. But there's no connection.
0: No. No, I, I totally, when I hit high school or a little bit after high school, one of my close friends at the time, her mom and her were like sisters almost, they would hang out, they would talk, they would laugh. And very rarely did I have that with my mom. So it was very foreign and I was envious of it. I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I looked at other people and their relationship with their mother and it was like, wow, I wish I had that. But there was always the push pull, the turmoil of it, where it's like, well, that's not going to happen because I was never going to meet her expectation or approval, which I'm sure you kind of under you can understand.
1: Well, you said the words push and pull, and my mother was manipulative, mm-hmm. so she would bring out her best arsenal, you know, the smile and and the hugs and the kisses, but there was always an ulterior motive, something she needed for me, or or if she needed me to be in the middle, if she was in a fight with my father or with my brother, she would pull me in. So I will side with her. And then when she, when she was done with me, she discarded me like a, a dish rig. So that's the push and pull that you are talking about.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the, at a certain point, my parents split. So I didn't, I got stuck in a different push and pull because she would call, she would tell me, well, your dad's, you know, the child support check's supposed to be here. It's not here. Can you call your dad's job and you ask him? And then my dad's a fireman. So I'm calling the firehouse to ask him where the child support check is. Even though I'm going to see him that weekend, she wants it now. And, and so, how old were you? This started when I was about 10. Yes. So it became this whole other paradigm of here I am getting stuck in the middle. And my mom was this twisted. My mom would sit there. So my dad would take me somewhere, you know, for the weekend or whatever. And then when I come home, my mom would be like, so did did you can you take me to where he's at? Excuse me. Can you show me how to get there? Why? Well, in case something happens to you, I need to be able to get there. Well, looking at it as an adult, I'm like, are you stalking him? But back then, I was like, yeah, okay, because you don't want to disapprove. Because then, if you disapprove, you don't know, do something to get disapproval, you're going to get in trouble.
1: Absolutely. And then there's emotional abuse and physical abuse. And I have a very similar um, story to yours, although it's situated in Israel and in a kibbutz. I think I was seven years old, maybe six years old. I was a very bad, um, bad wetter. You know, I would and then I would get punished for that. But the story, really, that I want to tell you is that my parents were asked that if you know anything about a kibbutz in Israel, everything was collective, eating together, and and uh, you assigned jobs and you had to do what they told you. The association told you to do the kibbutz. You cannot say no. So my at one point my parents were thinking of leaving and they were ostracized because of that, because the association found out about it. So they told them you have just so much time to leave the kibbutz and then you have to go. But so we would go to the um to eat together, and my parents were so ashamed to go. That I would again, I was seven years old, my mother would send me, and I knew and I felt the shame and I felt the the anger and and everything that went along with it. They sent me to pick up the food at seven years old for four people and uh because they were ashamed to do that and and i and i to this day, I'm feeling that, yeah. these feelings, these horrible feelings. You know, my parents feel bad, then I should feel bad. Why are they sending me over there? Because then I will look, be looked upon as being a bad person. So it was a horrible situation, went on for quite a long time. But that's not one of the worst stories. This is a, a minor story to, to the other stories. My mother died of cancer about 20 years ago. And um, and often on over the years, there were, there were maybe a year or two would go by and I refused to talk to her because she did something horrible or behaved in a very bad way. And the funny thing about it, as you read in a short story that I sent you, she would be what people thought that she was the nicest person. She was beautiful. And even my husband fell under her spell. So when I used to tell him stuff, he didn't believe me. Which was another story to talk of. Now he understands what it was all yeah. about. But um the thing is that you never knew what to go with her. You really never knew what to go with her because it was very shifty. Um and I was going to tell you a story and it just flew out of my head. It's so okay. can you back, can you back me up a little bit? Uh, what, how did I start saying was it? Was not we the talking, whole story?
0: We were talking about the kibbutz and then we were talking about how your mother put on basically a pretense of who she was around everybody else that she created this whole persona.
1: Okay. So I, and then I, I was going to segue to another story. So I, when we lived in Ben Shemen, in Israel, which is um, next to the airport, Lod Airport, and we were very poor. So I used to babysit, and I must have been maybe 11 or 12 years old. I used to uh, babysit for a neighbor across the street, and then my mother came and joined me, and I don't remember the whole story. She did something. She broke something, or something happened. So when our neighbors came back and all they knew is that I was the one babysitting. So they chastised me for something that bad that happened. And my mother was there and she didn't take the fall. She let me take the fall.
0: That, that, that's she didn't a,
1: say. Yes.
0: Go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: Yeah. She, she just, she, and that's the kind of a person she was that, I mean, that and the thing is that, I don't live in the past, but I write a lot about it. You you wrote a ve- you wrote, read a very small part of that. So I don't dwell in the past. My life has moved on. I'm basically a happy person. Um, but you get these images, the flashes. You know, the, anything. You know, the triggers. I know. I know. You know what I'm talking about. The mm-hmm. triggers. Anything can can trigger this little vineyards of of stuff that doesn't make sense, but you feel it in your bones. And so when people say to me, well, you can't live in the past. Well, I don't live in the past. But what I do say is that it's part of you and it will always be part of you.
0: Well, and and here's something I think uh, that what people don't think about, and it's taken me a while to do this. When you're younger and you're experiencing all this, your mind has wrapped it around into a nightly, a nicely neat package that this is your life, this is just normal, this is you know I'm going to flavor things so it doesn't seem as bad because would I be able to really handle it at that age that it was so bad? Because I mean, and I've talked about this before because. When my mom met my stepfather, we were, I guess I had, we had moved in together. They had been married maybe six months and she's telling me, let your stepfather. your stepfather likes to do pedicures. Let him do a pedicure. Okay. He'll even buy you a nice pair of sandals. Okay. Didn't wait, wait. I didn't think I'm 16. I have no concept, no clue, none. My mom dies and I'm going through her things and I find video cassettes of just her feet. And I still don't put it all together. I was sitting last year, I was sitting over at a friend's house and I was talking to her about this. And all of a sudden it was like a brick fell on my head that I'm like, how could she do this? How could you put your daughter in that position? And, and then, then after her suicide attempt, accused me of sleeping with the man when I couldn't stand him so when i look at my mom there was a lot of emotional abuse and the thing is you keep it like i said i didn't think anything about it i did not even enter my thought that this was perverse that she's being really sick by letting him do this none of that came to mind not until i was in my well 50. so you know, it, it's like there was an altercation between me and my stepfather. I always said until I hit forty, I always said, "Oh, it's a physical altercation." The fact of the matter is, at a certain point, the man's hands were around my throat. That's more than a physical altercation. That is an attempt at, attempt at my life. He's trying to kill me, but it takes it takes you a long time to get there because you don't want to believe, especially after the moment that this fight ends, that. Your mother looks at you and says, well, if you call the police and he tosses you out, I can't stop him. Granted, I was over 18. But still, you can't. How how do you how does your mind deal with? Number one, somebody just tried to kill you. Number two, your mom's not got your back. She could care less. So you're going to sit there and dress it up in a nice little bow and say it was a physical altercation. Mind you, I clawed the crap out of his face. But and, and he ended up needing me. That's how this ultimately ended. When I scratched him, he needed me and he broke his grip. But had he not, she was there. She didn't, she wasn't pulling at him. I don't remember her trying to grab his hands from around my neck.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: So uh,
1: I feel you. I mean I really and then, do.
0: And, and, and I'm gonna say this real quick because you were talking about physical abuse. I deliberately failed an entrance exam to a school for fifth grade. I deliberately failed it because I didn't want to go to the school. And when I told my, when I made the mistake of telling her that she beat the crap out of me so bad that she had to call one of our friends to come get me before she killed me. Wow. So, you know, but, but here's the thing. Did I have this abuse every day? Physical? No, that was a rarity. Mental abuse. That's a whole nother issue. And I think we don't always look at if you're physically abused, there's outward marks of it. If you're mentally abused, no one can see it. Because as you were saying, mom can put on a pretty little bow. I remember we were on a ferry on a cruise once and this guy was hitting on my mom and he goes, oh, you're so lucky. Your mom's so nice. And mm. I, I was about 10 and I looked at him and I said, well, you don't have to live with her.
1: Mm. my Mm.
0: mom was mortified. The man walked away and she's like, why did you say that? And I'm like, well, it's the truth.
1: Oh, so you actually stood up to her?
0: Oh, I did on several occasions. And I got in trouble on several occasions because of my mouth. Yes. Yes. I I had a mouth most of my life when it came to her. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I stood up to her a lot. And sometimes it
1: got me in trouble.
0: So, but anyway, This is your interview, yeah. not mine.
1: No, it's the mental I, abuse, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when you are at your formative years and you are being told something over and over again. In my case it was you're a prostitute, you'll be you will amount to nothing but being good in bad. And I believed her until I was 30, 40 years old, that that you are whore. And now I understand where it came from because I was the other woman in the house and my father, my stepfather, I I didn't know my, my real father adored me, but he had to be careful around me because, and he knew it. Um, So she looked at me as a threat. She also knew that I was sexually abused. And when I told her that in my my adult years, at some point, I think maybe I was 30 or so, she told me I didn't know what I was talking about. So now I'm wondering when she said that, cause I don't know who abused me. I was right. very, very young. So did she know, did she think my father did it? Maybe that's why, I don't know. Um, and then I'm, all of my life I'm searching in my head, who did that? Was it my father? But I cannot tie my stepfather with that. I cannot tie him to that. And as hard as I try to, because he would be the closest one Mm -hmm. and the most convenient one. But there were other family members in my, you know, in my family that had a propensity to do that. So I really don't know. But going back to my mother, did she know? Is that where it came from? Why are you calling me a prostitute? Why? Because my skirt was a little bit too short or because I was rebellious? And I went against your wishes. So that was your way of uh, telling me how bad I was. But what she didn't understand is that I believed her. Right. So I acted out. And that's what I did. I started acting it out because that came with the territory. I mean, so my father, at the beginning, when he married her, he was, I was three and a half years old. And, um. I adored him. I adored him. And my mother, and he saw that my mother was abusive. And I remember things when I was two and a half and three years old. I remember things when I was two years old. You know, i get these yeah. flashes. And um, so my uncle, my mother's brother lived with us. And we lived in a shop. We were very poor, as I said before. <clears throat> and he was an alcoholic and he died an alcoholic a couple of years ago. <clears throat> so all my life, I believed that he was the one who abused me. But the fact that like with your mother, she did not support you in any way at all. That's what happened to me. So when I listened to you, I said, well, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I
0: was going to say, and I understand the competition factor. I mean, that, that was my mom was like, you're competing you're competing with somebody that's supposed to be the, the person that supports you, that's supposed to love you unconditionally, but yet it's a competition and yet you're being accused of things that you haven't done. You know, my mother was great. at Now I can look at it and say gaslighting because she would sit there and say, you can do anything you put your mind to and then wait, but one day you're going to fall flat on your face. And then she would add, I hope I'm there to see it. And sometimes, I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes I feel my mom's been gone 30 years now. She was gone 31 years in November or 30 years in November. And I look at it and I go, do I miss her? No, because honestly, most likely she'd be still toxic as anything now. And I'm still dealing with her damage after 30 years of her being gone. So what would it be like had she lived? And you're 20 years out. So you understand where I'm coming from. It's like people, if you would actually, and yes, I'm going to say, I'm saying it on my podcast saying, well, I can't say that I'm not sorry that she's gone. And I remember my stepsister wrote my stepfather a letter right after my mom died saying, I'm sorry. I can't say I'm sorry that the bitch is dead. And I was mortified at the time and I was hurt and I couldn't believe she said it. But then after unpacking all the toxic stuff that I've realized, it's like, okay. And and one thing that you were saying about, I do, I have had therapists tell me that I was sexually abused as a kid. And when I've tried to meditate, I've had things come up and I think it was my godfather. Well, my mom had a relationship with my godfather that suddenly ended. And part of me wonders if there wasn't something that he did that caused this. But I don't know. I don't remember. It's one of those things where, I, what as I was saying, your mind blocks it. Your mind does not want you to deal with something so horrendous. You may get flashes of it, but it's like you can't deal with this. You can't handle it. So we're just going to wrap it in a bubble and put it away.
1: And in my case, I write about it. So that gives me an outlet. And um, so going back to my mother when she was dying, She had a horrible, excuse me, a horrible um, illness. You know, cancer is not pretty. Uh, So I was there. I live in Manhattan and she lived in New Jersey. So I used to go every so often just to, you know, she's a human being. Mm -hmm. She was suffering. Um, So she turns to me one day and and she was nice you know later on in her life she knew my father died my stepfather died she had nobody but my brother and me so she was a very smart woman let me put out my best self and now you'll start believing that I'm a good mother that I'm a good person but I never really trusted her ever ever I always had my guards up Mm -hmm. Um, I mean we did some stuff together we used to go shopping for clothes and that was something that we didn't have to be face to face. Okay. So we tried clothes on and everything. So uh, she turns around to me and she says, would you take care of me? I I said, no, I'm sorry. My life is very busy. I don't blame you. Uh, There was no way I was going to do that. she was a good mother, I would. But I, you know I didn't feel that I didn't feel that I wanted to do it. Why put myself there
0: all
1: right and i would and I would do myself a, a disservice so um she was an angry person when she died. Have you ever seen somebody die? She was angry. she was cursing all the way to her death. Wow, her true personality was coming out. The rabbi came over to bless her, and she said. Get out of here! Wow, I don't you... want to see you. She was so angry because she was invin. She thought she was invincible. Yeah, you can
0: curse. It's okay to curse. Uh, I, I. Oh, okay. It, she it's...
1: said, "Fuck you! Get out of here!" To the rabbi, <laughs> the poor rabbi. You should have seen his face. I'm sure he was
0: mortified. I mean,
1: oh, come he on. was. He, he was lost for words. He didn't know what to say. He walked out because he wow. didn't know what to say. And I was so I was so ashamed. I felt so bad for him, but that's her true colors really came out. And so she didn't want to go in bed, you know, to relieve herself in bed. So there was a, a porter party, and my brother hired somebody to take care of her. So I go to help her out to put her on a porter party, and she she was this thin. Wow. Because she was taking her anger out on me. I wasn't a good enough daughter, and I didn't do everything that I wanted. She, she pushed me so hard. I didn't know she had that much strength on her. She was dying. The next day she died. Wow. But she had the strength to do that. Well,
0: they always but, say people rally before mm-hmm. they die. They have, like, one good day before they die. You know, they, mm. they end up getting, and it, it seems maybe that was the case. You know, maybe that maybe was the that, case with her.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, I always said that good things come out of bad things. Mm -hmm. If you look for it, you will find it. Mm -hmm. So in your case, look at you, you're sitting there. You are doing what you want to do, I'm sure, because you look very happy. I am. Exactly. So you overcame it. Nothing wrong to talk about it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's our history. That's our lives. To bring it out every so often, I think it's cleansing. In my case, um, because I didn't have an outlet, I started writing when I was very young. I poured my heart on to the page. I wrote poetry, I wrote stuff. You're a writer? hmm yes. You write. Yes. What do you write?
0: Um, what is I... it about? I write realistic fiction. So I write uh, right now I have a a book out about a drug addicted rock star. And then I have a romantic suspense. However, some of the stuff that's in there is reality. And one of the books I'm writing now, her mother committed suicide.
1: Mm.
0: So, I mean, there's some reality that from my own life that bleeds into my books. So I get it.
1: So your mother committed suicide. You said she attempted to.
0: Oh, yeah, she (laughs) attempted it. And then she actually finally did it.
1: And how did she do that? A gun to her her head. (gasps) She
0: tried pills and she tried pills. I saved her in when I was in high school and uh, she tried pills. And when I saved her, she's like, I'm never going to forgive you. I'm like, "Okay, that's fine. And so I saved her. And about five years, six years later, she ended up using a gun They had moved to Indiana. I was in Texas and she originally now talk about mental abuse. Here we go. You want some mental abuse?
1: I would love it. Well, I can't wait to hear it. No, this is so. Okay. um,
0: My stepfather had moved already to Indiana. She was living in Strayport. So she was going to be going up there in another month. So she starts the beginning of June calling me every day, telling me how she's going to commit suicide, telling me how she's going to kill herself. And she's doing it to my grandmother, too her mom. And I call my stepfather. He's on the road. I call my stepfather. I'm like, look, you need to get her some help. You need to get some help for her. It's serious. You know, you really need to do that. Well, I have talked to her. She's fine. like, well, you need help. She needs help. When you get her up there, make sure you get some help for her and make sure, you know, she can't hurt herself. Yeah. Okay. All right. So she's calling and calling and calling. She calls me this. She went three days or two days without talking to us. And I tried calling the house every, every once in a while, call my stepfather. He's like, Oh, she's fine. I'm like, okay. So finally she gets back in touch with me and she's like, okay, well, I tried taking pills that didn't work. I took a whole bottle of sleeping pills that didn't work. So I'm going to use a gun. And I'm just like, you really need to stop. She's like, I'm going to use a gun. And what I'm going to do is I'm cause they had in their bathroom in the master bath, it was really weird. All they had was a walk in shower. They didn't have bathtub, just a walk in shower, small walk in shower. So she says, I want you to come back, which is a four hour drive. I want you to come back and I want you to find me. I'm like, excuse me. She goes, I'm going to go into the shower. This just tells you how screwed up this is. Wow. I want you to come in. I'm going to go into the shower and I'm going to kill myself in the shower. That way there's not that much mess. Wow. Who the hell thinks like this? So I said to her, I said, firstly, I said, if you loved me, you wouldn't put me through that. You wouldn't ask me to do that. How dare you even ask me to do that? That is just, it's cruel and unusual. Well, I do love you. That's why I'm going to do this. You know, I, I need, I need money. I need, we need money. You know, I need money. Your, your stepfather's done this with this, the pickup truck. He's hes going to lose his truck and we're going to move and we have all these expenses and blah, 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 blah. And, and she had lost a pending lawsuit. So this was part of the reason why this was going on. But she wasn't happy. She didn't trust my stepfather. You know, there was all sorts of things going on. And I'm like, look, get some help, leave him. She comes over for a weekend and I'm like, just stay here or go back, pack up some things and just come live with us. Because I was still wanting to save my mom. That Mm. was the major thing. It was like, I didn't see her as toxic, except for that comment. I didn't see her as toxic. She was still my Mm. mother. I still loved her. I still hope to have that relationship with her. So fast forward until she moves, fast forward to that November of that year, and she calls and tells me she's going to do it. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to do this. Just leave his ass. Leave his ass. Just come down here. We'll figure out a way to live with you and the girls. We'll figure out a place, give you a place. Mm -hmm. No, 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 I can't. Just have a nice wedding. So she calls my grandmother, who's a heart patient, does the same thing with her. And I know in my gut that this is it this time. And I'm telling my, my first husband how, and we weren't married at the time. I'm like, look, this is just, I feel it in my gut. Something's different this time. Oh, no, it's fine. You're, you're just worried about nothing. The next morning, I remember exactly what happened. And I get a phone call from my stepfather. And I remember what I was doing and all. And I remember the whole scenario in my head. It's one of those things you don't forget. And she had killed herself. She went into the garage and she shot herself. So, but he knew, and this is where I always go. My, my, my dad is always like, well, your stepfather did it. Your mom was, your mother was too vain to kill herself. Your mother would, if she was going to do it, cause she did it when you were younger, it would have been pills. What my dad seems to forget is that if she had tried pills so many times and it did not work, she was going to up the game. And did my stepfather have culpability? Yes, he left a gun in the house knowing she was suicidal.
1: Mm. So
0: while he may not have pulled the trigger by leaving that gun in the house and not keeping it secured, it's on him too.
1: Right, exactly. What was her problem? She was depressed. She suffered from depression.
0: Um when she was when she committed, tried to commit suicide at the time I saved her, she ended up in the hospital for three days and she convinced the doctors after a psych hold, cause she was in a coma, she was in a coma for three days. And then she was on a psych hold for another, I think three or four days. And she convinced them that she was just burned out and she wouldn't, she put me in counseling years before. So I was in counseling on and off throughout my life, and, but she wouldn't get her own help. And, you know, talking to my therapist over the years, she would have been bipolar. She would have had a personality Mm. disorder and bipolar, but, you know, nobody diagnosed it back then. Nobody Mm. would have treated it back then. So it was more than depression because one day, you know, she could be very caring and joking and the next minute flip a switch and then you're like, okay, who are you?
1: Mm. Mm. Wow.
0: It's, it was, it was a very hard way to navigate life because you didn't know if you were going to have the mom that was supportive or the mom that was just going to, I mean, when she kicked me out, she called me back the next day, the next morning over at my friend's house was like, you can come back home now. Excuse me. (laughs) No, I'm not. And I stayed out on my own for a year and a half because it was just like, no, I'm not doing that. You told me for all these years that I can't do this. I am going to fall flat on my face before it's like it escalated to control. And I'm sure your mom had tools. She used to control you. It was like, okay, when I was young enough, well, I'm going to send you to live with your father. Well, I don't want to go live with dad. Well, I'm going to send you to live with your dad. Well, I live with my fifth grade teacher. When I think about it, I wasn't living with her anyway. But so she was, you know, she was telling me this, Then I live with my grandmother, which was awesome. And then when that didn't work and I got a certain age, then it was, you're going to fall flat on your face one day. And I hope I'm there to say it. So when she kicked me out, I was just kind of like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And it's something I want to touch, want to touch on real quick is, you know, you were saying how I'm sitting here happy. My freshman year in high school, we were, the school I went to forced or didn't force, but they asked the parents to write a letter <laughs> to their daughter So freshman orientation, I get this letter. And one of the things that my mom wrote in there, and it still sticks with me and I still have a copy of the letter was, so, I mean, it's not like she didn't matter to me. She does or did, but she wrote in there. She goes, I am sorry. I'm not the mother that you want me to be. I want you to be strong. I want you to grow up and be a strong woman. And I have to look at that and I have to look at her behavior and go, well, that's, that's what you got. You got somebody that persevered and went through all this and still, you know, while I have my moments, yeah, we all have our moments where that trauma comes back up or that, or something sad. I mean, I lost my husband. So that, that still comes up on a regular basis, but Mm. you have to be able to stand in your own power. And that's the biggest thing is your mom. And I know, you know, this, your mom tried to quash you. She tried to put labels on you. She tried to take your power and you have to find a way to step back from that. And own yourself. And I mean, you look very secure with yourself as well. It's like you own yourself. You're not scared to admit who you are. And I think that's right. there's a lot of power in that alone.
1: Yes, exactly. You own it and, and you do the best that you can. And one thing I learned is not to do that with my son, not to be controlling. In, when I was younger, I didn't know how to handle it. I was very, very angry. I was always angry and I was always crying and I didn't know why. And as a matter of fact, my husband and I are together for a long time, but we were divorced for 10 years because the two of us were just too young. We didn't know what, what to do, but I was very angry. And um, so we got divorced for 10 years and then we remarried. So we are still together. So those years I'm not proud of myself the way because I left my son with my husband it was A good father, but, you know, I Mm -hmm. didn't leave him. I saw him on weekends, but yeah, he was five years old. I abandoned him. It took me 10 years to gain his respect, his love. I had to work very hard for it. And that made me a better person because I realized at some point in my life that if I want to have my son with me and I want him to have a relationship with him, that I have to change myself first. Um, I know with my husband that if I want to have a good relationship with him, I have to change myself. This mm-hmm. is something that I had to learn to do. It didn't come naturally. When you come, when you come from a, a secure background, a secure home, you have your model that you mm-hmm. can go by. You know something that you know a, a, a way to lead the rest of your life. I didn't have that. I didn't know how to be a mother. I don't think I was a great mother in his formative years. But I'm happy to say that I, I, I took care of that. And it took, as I said, it took 10 years. But I had to persevere. So th- that goes back to what I said before. Something good always comes out of something mm-hmm. bad. As long as you're aware of it, you need to own it. Oh, yeah. And I did own it. And I told my son, look, I wasn't a good mother. I'm aware of it. Oh no, mom, I don't want to hear about it. No, no, he does, you know, guys, man. Mm. He's, you know, he's 49 years old already, so he's not a young person, but he's a oh no, no, mom, it's okay. But but he does hear me, yeah. you know, when I say that. I wasn't a good mother, Danny, and I will own it. Um uh, Go ahead. And and no, that's pretty, pretty much it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, for me, and I'm sure that when when impending motherhood happened for you, it was one of those big, big things. That was the most terrifying thing in the world for me. I didn't actually have bio kids. I ended up uh, getting a relationship with somebody that had children, which was mm-hmm. fine for me because having the crappy stepfather taught me how to be. A better step parent. So it was like, as you were saying, having something bad turn into something good. Having my mom be the mom she was, it was like, I could be a better parent. That being said, when I look back at me being a parent, while I still, you know, I, up until a few years ago, I still had a relationship with the girls, we've just kind of grown apart. But the fact of the matter is, I now know that I could have been a better parent had I not had all that baggage had i had i felt more secure with who i was but the problem was i didn't feel i was still trying to to figure out who i was at 22 years old and i mean oh. i went from meeting somebody to suddenly i'm a stepmom and it was a major change and and for me for me in this situation, his family liked to put me on this pedestal that, oh, we prayed to God for you. You know, you're, you're, you're saving Brian and the girls and this is what we needed. And we prayed to God. So at a certain point, you're coming from a relationship situation with your parents where you were just like low man on a totem pole. So now these people are loving you. How how do you, how do you Mm. even wrap that your mind around? And then how do you walk away when it's like you know i really love the kids i love his family but guess what mm. i don't love him
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and,
0: and, and then it's like you lose all this other all this other all the other people that mean something to you so your support system's gone again
1: yeah do you ever feel uncomfortable when somebody's really nice to you oh yeah i mean really do you ever question They'll really, uh, they really believe that that they're nice to me. They'll really deserve it. And it's so it comes up. I literally, this is something I cannot get rid of. If somebody is very nice to me, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm like that. It, I'm more it, comfortable when somebody's not nice to me. It, that's what it, I was well, used-
0: that's because you're you're used to the abuse. I mean, here here's the thing: when somebody tells me, you know, you're so wonderful and everything. I have a friend who is a, another podcaster and. I was on her show and she's like, you're an incredible woman. And I'm just, I'm sitting there just feeling, no, I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) And then of course, you know, the one thing that bothers me a lot is when I get a DM from a guy. And of course this is trolling. That's like, hi, beautiful. It's like, don't. Don't even go there. I know how I look. I know I'm not the 20 something year old that I was cute with. Now I I am in my 50s. So, no, don't sit there. I actually had some guy say, hi, beautiful. Um, I would like you to be my sugar baby. I'll pay you weekly. And my response back to that was, does this really work? Um, And then I blocked him. But it's just like, look, I don't have time for this. But yeah, it's really awkward. It always has been awkward. Yeah. It's like somebody says, Oh, I like your dress. Oh, well, I got it over here on clearance. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, why? Are, well, here's the thing. I know for me personally, my mom would try to diminish me. It's like if I was looking in the mirror thinking, Okay, so am I pretty? Da 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 da. She'd be like, You're conceited. Quit looking in the mirror. Okay. Um, you know, what am I, I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't be, I, but and then, then the weird dichotomy with her, this is why I'm saying you never knew who she was because when she started taking photography classes, she's like, okay, I want you to model. And then maybe we can get you some modeling gigs. Okay. Who the hell are you? And where did you put my mother? Because this isn't right. And that's why I'm saying one minute, she's supportive and the yeah. next minute It's like, I. I don't understand who you are. I mean, and how do you, And I looked at it and I have to ask you this. Me, I mean, I was raised really weird. I didn't have a lot of personal relationships growing up because I was living with the fifth grade teacher where she was tutoring. And even though there was kids there, you couldn't talk to them. And then the one group of friends I had in the neighborhood, well, they're African-American. You're the only white girl in the neighborhood. We're going to, when grandpa dies, we're moving us. We're just moving us to another neighborhood. I don't care if you have no friends. So I didn't actually learn how to really format those friendships and I, I formats not a really good way. But there's Boy. this uncomfortableness where you're having a conversation with somebody. I don't do it so much here, but it's like when I'm talking to my friends or something and I say something later on, I get in the car and I leave and I'm sitting there going, oh God, did I say something on a turn? Did I did I say something wrong? Oh my gosh, what did I do? Oh you understand this feeling don't you?
1: <laughs> Were well, we twins separated at birth? I mean, he's saying everything that I'm, I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always feel like I said something wrong. I can have a wonderful time with friends and we, have, we laugh and everything and they leave. And just before I fall asleep, I say, oh, it doesn't feel right. Did I say? Because being happy wasn't something that my mother allowed me to be. Mm-hmm. I couldn't jump up and down and be happy. I had to be very reserved. I had to look proper and cool. And my, my clothes had to be just perfect because it was important how other people, you know, mm-hmm. our neighbors, our friends. We have to look good to it for everybody. We have to show that shiny facade that I'm very good at putting myself together. because, But being happy, I feel guilty afterwards. I'm yeah. not supposed to be happy.
0: And and I think it's also I I think where the, the trip switch comes in with when you start analyzing the conversation you have with your friends is because no doubt when you were a child, you said something that you thought was the greatest thing ever. And your mother looked at you and said, how dare you say that? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure that I'm sure that's somewhere in that programming, because it is all programming. It's like, you were taught that you should not say this. You were taught to dress like this. You were taught this. And it's like, yeah, I, I, my, my mother, I mortified my mother because when I came back home, I had dyed my hair jet black and she was just like, how dare you? You know, you, why are you doing this? You look old now. And it's like, I was 19 and she's like, why are you doing this? I'm like, I want to. I want to, I want to, I want to have jet black hair. What's wrong with that? Well, you know, but it was never, there was no pleasing her because as I was telling a a guest last night, we're talking about weight issues. I was 185 in high school. I left and she would tell me you'd be so much prettier if you lost weight. Okay. That's a broken record. So I go out, live on my own for a year and a half. I come back and I'm down to 135 and I'm looking good. And you look too gaunt. You've lost too much weight. Is there a happy medium? Exactly. I mean that, and I think that's exactly. the same for you. It's like is there a happy medium? There was never a happy medium with these people with your mother or my mother because the problem was they put their expectations on us number 1. Number 2, they weren't happy with themselves.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's where it started. That's what the whole thing started. You know what you know what I do I learned to do and I've been doing it for 1 year. I do a lot of self-talk. So what I do, we, as you said before, we are programmed. There's no question about it. And this is, it's very powerful. So what I do is I combat that by uh, self-talk. So I say to myself, come on, Henia, don't be ridiculous. You know you can do that. Don't listen to what your mother said. Don't listen to what, and I, and I, I literally self-talk all the time, and it helps me. But you know, it helped me just for a certain amount of time and then I have to do it again and again and again. And it, it is getting better. It is getting better. I don't think it will ever be 100%, but it's up to us, I think, to um, maneuver our way around it and find that happy medium and find what we can do for ourselves. Because again, what I learned and I'm not even asking my husband to tell me anything. You're beautiful. You're great. Because first I have to feel it. If I feel it, I don't need anybody to tell me that. Right. I don't want to rely on other people to tell me that I'm good. I need to know it myself. And that's that's my quest in life is to make myself happy no matter what.
0: I think and
1: that. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So uh talking about having relationships or not having relationships, I was never allowed to have anybody over to the house. Um, my mother never had friends, but she always had problems with them. So she always fought with them, and then they wouldn't talk. So she had friends off and on. So I never knew how to have friends. Believe it or not, believe it or not, I'm pretty old. I'm up there in age. Um only five years ago or six years ago, when I'm starting to accumulate friends and I'm having people over to the house and I'm always surrounding myself with people and I'm always calling my friends and I keep myself open for people. But it took that long for me to get there because that's one thing I didn't realize that I have to work on. And and I had to go out of my way to do it, and it wasn't easy. It's it was not easy for me to have friends. Even now, there's there's a certain level of uncomfortableness, uncom being uncomfortable. There's a certain level of it that I have to overcome. But I forge for ahead and that's the only way I can do it and Michael says why do you want to have all these people over you know this one is not going to get along with that that one I said I don't give a fuck you know it just I want to have these people over if they don't get along it's their problem not my problem Yeah, you know and I make it nice for them and easy for them and I'm hospitable and everything and I cook for people and whatever but it's a nice feeling to be able to change you know what, what would be Very easy for, I have, I have a friend who can, who cannot be alone at all. She has to be with people. I'm not like that. I'm a loner, Mm -hmm. so I have to go out of my way to do that. But I don't understand people who always have to be around people. I always have to be around people. I go out of my way to be around people. So, and it makes me feel good. So going back when you were talking about friendships before, it triggered something in me. And that's why I'm talking about it now. It's fine.
0: fine. (laughs) I get it. Um, I mean, this is the first time, honestly, there's two things here. This is the first time, honestly, that I've been alone for living alone for a year and a half. And I really don't shouldn't be announcing that. But, you know, it, for me, it's a different experience because I've always had when I lived alone before, it was like I lived in my friend's basement apartment. So I knew that if I just went upstairs, somebody was there. It wasn't like I was totally alone, even though back then I would I would deny it if you're like, well, you're not living alone. Well, yeah, I am. No, I wasn't. And the interesting thing is I found uh, an audio tape from the other a cassette and I played in it, its back from when I was 21 years old. And I'm talking about how even, you know, this was my, at that time, I lived alone for six months. And I was like, I had my own apartment. And I'm like, well, at least, you know, this is the first time being alone. It's kind of scary. And, you know, I, I don't know if I like being alone. At least when I was home, even though mom and I didn't get along, I still knew she was there. So I'm finding a freedom in the fact that I am alone because I don't have anybody to answer to. It's just me. And it, it's, a very, it's a very freeing experience. Something else I wanted to cover with you, because I mean, since we have so much in common here about the, the behaviors, did you have a problem with I'm sorry?
1: Oh, constantly, constantly. <laughs> it's wanting to be validated. It's wanting to be accepted. It's wanting to succumb to everything that's around you. The You know, the outside world, you want to had them like you and whatever. Yes. Go ahead. So tell me.
0: Oh, I did. I wh- found out when I, okay. So my, my mom kicks me out, which was the whole story in itself, but my mom kicks me out. So I'm moving with my friends and I guess I was living with Diana and Jana for about maybe two to three months and we were somewhere and Diana looks at me and she goes, why do you say you're sorry? I'm like, excuse me? She goes, why do you say you're sorry all the time? I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, you say you're sorry all the time. And I don't believe that you mean it all the time. So why do you say it? She's like, you yeah. you have nothing to be sorry for. This is my friend who's a Leo. So she's going to tell me exactly what she thinks. And I'm glad she did. She was a year older than me. And she's, you know, and I, I'm still friends with her to this day. And the, the fact is, you don't think about that behavior. And I realize I can now know when my self esteem starts tanking, because I remember being at my job. And I mean, I'm a supervisor at this point, I'm doing fine and everything. And then stress started getting to me about the job. And I remember walking to my boss's office and I'm talking to him about some claims and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, what are you sorry about? I'm like, what are you talking about? So now I recognize that if I start saying I'm sorry, repetitively it's because either I'm uncomfortable or my self-esteem is in the grabber. One of the two. And it's just a trigger. You don't realize it. It's just, and that's what people don't realize that patterns of abuse and abusive behavior and emotional abuse. All it takes is one thing for you to go right back into that hole that you were in before. You can be great. You can be doing well, but one thing can just pop it and you're like, okay, here I am again.
1: Exactly. But exactly. It,
0: the thing is each time you can you can you can recognize it easier and you can pull yourself back quicker if you really are paying attention.
1: And that's what I was trying to tell you before, is that the self-awareness is very important. And it's like my self-talk. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm doing, is I'm aware I'll catch myself feeling a certain way or behaving a certain way and then talking to myself. Um, and telling myself that no, don't do that, you know, don't feel that. Um, but this se- self awareness, I think, is very, very, very important. Very important. Well, it, if we it, understand ourselves, go ahead. Yeah. I was going
0: to say it's just changing the tips that are in our head. I mean.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. because it keeps keeps going. It's that loop, you know, goes mm-hmm. around and around, and it's never going to stop. And it's a lot of work, but it's okay because it's going to, it's making us stronger. You you are a very strong woman. I can see that. It does. It's making us stronger. And there's nothing wrong with it. Unfortunately, we didn't have a good beginning. We had a crappy mothers. Um, my mother, you know, she had a terrible life. She really did, but I had nothing to do with it. Why take it out on me? You know, it's like, um, if there was something going on. See, my brother, like in the short story, he was revealed. My brother was my mother's husband, which was another sick thing, was very sick, very, very sick, until the day she died. He was a husband. And my father, my stepfather knew about it. He knew that. And he was very jealous. And he went out and he cheated on her. So, you know, yeah. I mean, he was a very good looking man and he was a womanizer, but she, my mother was very domineering and um, he was unhappy. He loved her, but he was unhappy. So he found somebody else. And so at the funeral, he had two women grieving over him. Both of them were wailing around like crazy. And my uh-huh. mother said to me, why is she wearing, I think that was my dress. Why is she wearing my dress? She said, I was looking for it. It's comical. It's almost comical. If I tell you the whole story, it's it's comical, but it's also tragic. And how would how did he die? He had an aneurysm fixing this uh this woman's pipes in the middle wow. of the night at twelve o'clock at night. He no. wasn't fixing a pipe. Yeah, I
0: know. Well, he was laying some pipe, but it was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And can you imagine being found in another woman's apartment? Yeah.
0: Well, well it's it's that, it's that whole Do you remember Dynasty? The TV yes. show Dynasty? Um one of Joan uh Alexis's husband's bit it while they were in bed. So, it's it's yeah. happened. It's it's happened. Yeah.
1: Definitely. So, you know, I mean, so my father knew that my brother was the first one. My father was the second one, and I was all the way at the bottom. Um, So when things were going bad, they were lashing out at me physically and mentally. So,
0: Did you ever Um, meet your grandparents?
1: Well, my real mother and my real father... Uh, my mother and my real father were first cousins. Okay. I'll have to send you another short story. That that, okay. that was so, my, my life was so confusing. I didn't learn until I was 13 years old that he was my stepfather. I thought he was my father. <clears throat> but I knew something was wrong all along. You know, in those days, they kept it a secret. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Um, so I would see my grandmother and my father's side who there were my mother's aunt and uncle and my father's parents so I saw a picture of my mother head in head with a guy and I didn't know and they looked alike so I kept asking questions and in a picture albums there was this guy that the head was cut off you know when I looked at the picture at, at the albums I said who is this guy why is the head cut off ah I didn't like him we had a fight whatever you know whatever the story yeah. was but then everybody you know my uncles and my cousins every every time they looked at me they cried and I'm thinking to myself what have I done that they look at me and their eyes misted over and because I reminded them of my father um so I didn't realize until I was 13 years old and there were so there were my father's parents. My mother's parents, she's Polish, died in a Holocaust someplace or in Russia or whatever. Uh, they had a terrible life. So, um, so the only grandparents I knew. And then my, fa- my stepfather, who really raised me since I'm three and a half years old, uh, had his own parents. So I'm thinking, okay, my brother, said, my half-brother has his grandparents. How come they don't treat me like I um, belong with them? You know, they ostracized me. They didn't want my father to marry my yeah. mother. So so my whole childhood was very confusing. So when I was 13 years old and my grandmother set me down, I went to visit her. Every time I had a fight with my mother, I used to get on a bus, no matter how no matter how old I was, they accepted me. They were very nice to me. And I used to run away from home all the time. Because that was my safe haven. So my grandmother sits me down, she said, Okay, you're 13 years old, now you're a woman and you should know. And she tells me, well, if if the ground could have opened up and I would have fell right in there and it closed in on me, I would have been okay. It was such a shock. I went home and I was screaming at the top of my lungs at my parents and my father's feeling got hurt. And after that, we didn't really have a relationship because there was no bridge in it. He didn't know how to bridge it. I didn't know how to bridge it. But then I became suicidal. So uh, literally I became suicidal because yeah. I didn't know what to do with my feelings. And my mother didn't ease me into the whole conversation. Now they're angry with my grandparents. And I'm in the middle of all of that. But, you know, take care of me. You know, I'm 13 years old. I just found out something that I didn't know. Although I knew to some extent there was something going on there because I knew that yeah. why, why um, my father didn't give me his last name. You know why do I have a different last name? Mm-hmm. You know, so it it was very confusing. So why am I telling you this story?
0: Because I asked about okay. your grandparents. The reason why I asked. Oh, you, okay. The reason yeah. I asked though about your grandparents <laughs> was was your gr- your mom's mom. I mean, you met your you know your mom's mom. How was she? was her personality similar to your mother.
1: Oh no, my mother's my I didn't know them. Okay, they that's perished- why. They perished in, in uh, Russia. Okay. Uh, but what I do know is that my grandfather on my mother's side was very abusive. He used to okay. beat the hell out of my grandmother. So my mother came out of that relationship also damaged. So, yeah. And plus, yeah. So, you know, she had a terrible life, but I'm not g- getting into it but, right now. But
0: Mom's yeah. Say push- that. Go ahead. Go
1: ahead. No, and that's
0: what I was gonna say, and that's one thing that I've looked at because I look at my mom's mom because I was really close with my grandmother i was the, I held her hand when she passed. I don't see the shades of what my you know I don't see my mom and my grandmother I don't my grandfather, her dad was alcoholic, he could be abusive at times, so maybe that's where this comes from but i, I mean i I've, I've stepped back in the last few years and I look at my dad, my dad has had a problem with drinking and The fact is, his mother used when she came to live with us for a bit. She's telling my husband at 89 years old how she used to drink castor oil before she'd go to the bar and drink the men under the table. Okay, so I've become to I've come to the point where it's like I have to look at my parent, my grandparents, because my grandparents as I knew them were not the same people that raised them. So I have to be a little bit more forgiving because a lot of our trauma is generational.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So unfortunately, do you know the lineage of your family? How far back can you go? Um,
0: From family stories, the next generation that I know of is my grandfather, my great grandfather. And the only thing I really know about my great grandparents is from my, on my dad's side, my great grandfather, he did something shady and changed the spelling of our last name. And I have no idea what happened or why. So I know there's something shady there, but nobody, you know, everybody's gone now. And when I asked my grandmother, when I sat down to videotape her to give me this whole diatribe of what life was like, she's like, Oh, well, we never talk about that. Okay. So I oh. have no idea. Wow. Um, then my My dad's mom, her father, her mom died when she was young. And her dad, when she got pregnant, she had gotten married early and she got pregnant. He pushed her down the stairs because her and her husband had split, pushed her down the stairs so she would try to, she could lose the baby, which she didn't. Wow! Wow. But then she met my grandfather. And then my mom's mom was one of seven kids, but she was the only kid between her mom and dad, all of the other ones were half siblings. Mm. As far as my grandfather, I have no idea. However, this is where it gets shady. There was, I think, 13 years between him and my grandmother and she was 15 when they met and got married. Mm. So, I mean, Mm. I can look at this and and I'm proud of myself because I kind of stopped and said, I'm not passing this trauma on to anybody which Mm. granted my stepkids have part of me and I understand that they got some of my trauma. I understand that, but I was only in their life for four years. It wasn't the whole 18. So I I just, I, I, I stop and look at, you have to stop and look at your parents, but then you also have to stop and go, okay, so what's the generation here? What's the history with each generation? And because it, it has developed and grown and it gets passed on.
1: Exactly. Mental illness, all kind of stuff mm-hmm. gets passed on. Definitely. And the reason I had only one child is because I didn't want him to go through what I went with my brother, you know, because, you know, he was revered. So I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I would prefer one child to another. So I decided to just have one. Well, and, re- and that's all.
0: And, and And here's the thing. I'm not going to say it's a bad thing because I remember being a step parent and the girls asking me, I think there were like seven, seven and nine. And they're like, so who's your favorite?
1: Yeah. have a favorite, exactly.
0: but you know, and, and, you know, at the time I didn't, but when I look back, it's like, well, my relationship with Jessica is different because at four years old, she was living with us and she wasn't going to school. So there's going to be more of a bond there because Michelle was already in school. So you know, how yeah. do you, and how exactly. do you explain, you can't explain that to kids.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. So that's, you know, that's what it is. I mean, we have a lot to deal with. Um, and I think in a way it's good because I think creativity comes out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it generates something in your mind where you, you need to have an outlet. And yeah. how often do you do the podcast? Do you do it often?
0: Uh, This week I have seven episodes slated. Plus I have two interviews to do, which this is. I got to say, this is a busy week because I my Internet was down for two weeks, so I couldn't really do it. I mean, it was the fact that there was something wrong with the connection. Some kind of piece went out. So I'm playing catch up right now. Normally, I try to do at least three episodes a week. Um, So it's I started last last March. And my husband had died the January or June of 2020. And I remember when I told my therapist and my uh, my primary care doctor that I was doing this, they were both like, this is perfect for you. You need the outlet. You need mm. to be able to talk to people. And this is, this is what I'm doing. I mean, I've always had the creative outlet to write. I've always had a great fantasy world. I mean, even before I picked up the pen to write, it's like I placed myself in TV shows to escape to get away from my mom and her thought. It's like, I'm watching Heart to Heart and, oh, guess what? They have a kid. They never had a kid on that show, but guess what? They did. And I was going to be that kid and life would be perfect because the fantasy world that I created was much better than being underappreciated and not accepted. So I think that's, I think that's where the fiction comes from. I think that's where the writing comes from. When I was interviewed the other, uh, I guess about three weeks ago now, uh, I had sent one of my books to the person they read and she goes, I don't understand how your mind works. She goes, if I would have wrote this, it would have been two pages long. They fell in love <laughs> and that's it. I'm like, <laughs> she goes, how do you come up with this? I'm like, it just, I just do. And the mind goes, And the, and I mean, that's, it's either focus on trauma, focus on reality, which isn't bad or be creative and the creativity. Exactly. If you don't get the creativity out, you start getting, and I'm sure this is true for you, it starts coming back at you like you better do it. You better do it because it starts bothering you that you have to release that energy.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. And and that is wonderful. It, it's a great outlet. And by the way, remember to send me um, a link to your books. Okay, I'd like to read. Point myself with you and see, you know, you're writing. Thank you. Uh, do you belong to any group? So you're pretty solo when you write. I'm pretty
0: solo. I, I, I did write, my very first foray into publishing was in an anthology called Vicious Bites. And I wrote two short stories. One was called Immortal Love and it was a vampire anthology. And the other one was called The Prisoner and The Prisoner, um, I really wanted it to be more than it actually was, but it was about somebody who was basically, they had gotten into a severe car accident. They were dealing with pain all the time and they they're thinking about ending their life. So while they're going to get in their life, they meet a vampire and the vampire, they beg the vampire to turn them because life's going to be better. They think, Oh, I can live this life. The vampire is like, fine, I'll turn you, but I'm not going to teach you anything. So she goes back, she's living with her sister and she goes back home and, She's, you know, the sister starts bringing her raw meat and everything. Eventually though, she, they go out and she's craving the blood and she realizes basically that she's, she's given into one problem only to get another one because now she's, she's craving the blood and she's realizing she's a killer. And so ultimately she ends up going out into the sun and kills herself because she just, she realizes she can't live like this. She traded one one problem in for another.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's really what happens in real life to a lot of people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, what really helped me over the years is that I did go get some psychological help. And that gave me a good basis. You know, at the beginning, I didn't really understand what they were trying to teach me and show me or guide me. And then eventually it, it sunk in. Um, the last time was very funny. I think the last time I had, um, I was seeing somebody was five years ago for maybe one year. And the funny thing was I had to stop it because I found out that I realized that I was helping her instead of her, her helping me. Okay. She, allowed me, she allowed me to get into a sphere, and she allowed me to get into her life, and into her problems, and I was helping her. And I said, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that, you know, because I was, when I went to college, I wanted to become a psychiatrist, a psychology, one of, the, one of them. And um, I decided not to because I didn't want to deal with problems. I wanted to heal Myself, not to heal other people. Although I find that I do it with my fr- a couple of my friends whenever there's a problem. Henya, can you talk to me tomorrow at ten o'clock? And and I know what what it is and yeah, you know. So it's a nice feeling, but that's a friend, but not not with a, a psychiatrist. I thought that was a little weird. I had to I had to quit that, and then I didn't go back.
0: My mom put me into therapy with a. a a therapist when I was nine because I started acting out and that was the best thing she could have ever done because it's like, I never had a phobia about having a therapist. It was like, it gave me somebody to talk to someone to help me reframe my thought if I needed to. And it was very empowering. You know um, this show, I've learned more about myself doing this show because, you know, I've had somebody talking about expectations and it's like, I never really thought about, how I perceive my expectations aren't being met. The fact is if the per- other person doesn't know about my expectations, because this is, when you think about it, this is really a, our parents, our mother, because our mm. mother had these expectations that we could never meet and they weren't the same expectations as ours, but we never looked at it differently. You know, we right, would get exactly. ups- they would get, up- she would get upset if we didn't meet her expectations. But when we apply this in real life, You know, I found myself doing this and I had a blow up with a friend because she wasn't meeting my expectations. And then I did that podcast and I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, I see where I was at fault for this. I'm not saying that they weren't at fault, but I realized where I was at fault. So I think, you know, as far as therapy, well, I read cards. I I counsel people while I read cards. So it's like it's not I I do these little things where I can help people and I I do the podcast. And the reason I share so much about my story is because If there's somebody listening and they can pick up something, it's like, okay, well, she made it through. Can I do it? And I always tell people, it's like, if you need to reach out, want to leave a question or comment, just do it. I'll be glad to talk to you.
1: So can you back up? You said something about reading cards.
0: Reading cards, reading tarot cards, yes.
1: Okay. Talk to me about that. It's fascinating. If you have a couple of minutes.
0: Oh, I have a couple of minutes. I mean, I read cards. Um, It was something, it's funny because I have a friend who is a reader too. And she's like, she's always like, I don't know why you separate stuff. You know, why do you, because it's like, I'm a writer. And then, yeah, the podcasting happened and it's like, but I was always keeping my card reading business on the side. I would go to events and everything, but it was always separate. And she's like, why do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. And I had another friend who's like, you're a good reader, but why do you do it through gritted teeth when you talk about it? Well, the fact of the matter is I have now embraced myself again and I'm, I've put it all together. It's like, yes, I'm a reader. I'm a podcaster and I'm a writer and I read tarot intuitively. I do a reading that basically is tarot and Oracle cards Um it's an hourglass spread. It's, I call it a story spread because it starts out the past going down to the future. And sometimes uh, sometimes if they're really, pes- they're really a pesky person, I'll have a, uh, somebody from the other side, meaning a relative or something that has happened where they show up. And it's not very pleasant for me when I go into the media mode because I'll feel how they died. And I don't like that. The other day was my oh. mom's birthday and she shot herself in the head and she's only done this one other time, but she obviously was upset with me because I really wasn't celebrating her birthday. And I'm sitting here working and all of a sudden I feel like I have an ice pick on the side of my head Ooh! and it would come and go and come and go. And I'm like, mom. And then it kind of stayed away and then it came back later on that night and then it never happened again. So I'm like, that was my mom. I know it for a fact that was my mom. I've been reading and I've had, I've had this sensation and I've told people where, you know, things that their loved ones said to them before they passed. And I've also done readings where um, this guy sat down across from me. And as soon as he sat down, I felt like somebody had taken my heart and just was squeezing it. And some cards came up and I'm like, you really need to go get checked out by a doctor. I don't know if he had a heart problem or not, but he kept staring at me after I was done. <laughs> and as soon as he got <laughs> up, as soon as he got up, the pain went away. So it's it's a very weird thing. I mean, I read intuitively. The cards really are just a guide. They kind of guide me along because I get information all the time from people telling, you know, from whatever source that doesn't necessarily match the card. Because every time I look at my deck, I see different images. So that's what
1: we do. I I hear you. I really do. And I don't talk much about it. I'm very intuitive. And I can read people from afar. Um, I know when my friend, when a particular friend thinks about me, she Mm -hmm. wonders why she never heard from me. And so I call and, and I would hear things like, yeah, I just thought about you. Or um somebody calls me up. I think about them and they call me. Mm-hmm. That happens to me a lot. You know, I pick that up a lot. Also, I don't know if it has to do with our background where, <clears throat> excuse me, where we become sensitive to our surroundings. I don't know if it. And, uh, you tell tell me. and um, uh,
0: I think everybody has intuition. I think it's a matter of how developed it is. You know, definitely the person you thinking about somebody or vice versa and them calling, it's like a song coming on the radio. Those things are all part of your intuition hits. Those are the intuitive hits that start building up. I mean, that's I I used to have precognitive dreams when I was a kid. And I can go back to a time and, and I know it was intuition because my parents were going to Disney World. and. I think I was eight or nine and I'm like, I don't want to go. And they're like, what? We would go every year. And I'm like, I don't want to go. And they're like, why not? I'm like, you guys need some time alone. They never fought in front of me, by the way. So I have nowhere idea where this came from. And I'm like, you guys need to go. Why? Need some time alone. Are you sure you don't want to go? Yeah, I'm sure I don't want to go. What kid turns down Disney World? Seriously? I mean, so... I've always had that ability. It's just, I didn't really start honing it until I was in my late 20s, early 30s, when it was kind of like, okay, well, you need to start getting serious about this. Because uh, what really tripped it was driving down the road and hearing a voice that tells me to slow down as I'm going around a bend, speeding, and I do, and I'm glad I did because traffic was at a dead stop and I wouldn't be here right now. So these are the things that even though I was having all these intuitive hits, and even though I was, my friends nicknamed me Manifesting Girl, I still didn't necessarily go all the way in. And I mean, I grew up in, in New Orleans around shops and everything else, but I didn't go all in until that. That was just kind of like the wake-up call. you know.
1: So I had a dog that I really loved when I was um, 10, 11, 12 maybe years old. Adored that dog. It was the best friend I ever had in those days. And so I got to sleep one night and I, and I uh, dream that he was bit by a snake and he died. Mm-hmm. The next day he got bit by a snake and in his, his hind legs, because we lived, uh, we lived in a wilderness. And, um, And I was what in those days we lived, you know, we lived in a small town who knew about where to take a dog to get help. And I watched that dog slowly, slowly lose, lose his mobility as, you know, and then finally he died right in front of mine. After that, I was afraid to go to sleep and dream. I would will myself not to dream and not to think bad thoughts because I believed even to this day, a small amount of it stays with me that if I feel something or I think about something that's bad to a loved one, that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I never really talk about it because people look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, I told my husband, oh, well, that... <laughs> whom am I married to? Yeah. <laughs> really?
0: That, that's that's <laughs> kind of why, you know, it goes back to why I was keeping my world separate because you have people that will look at what I do as far as being a reader as something hokey. I mean, my first husband would call it hokey land and it's like, you know, he, he's now a born again Christian, but it's just like, you didn't even really know what was going on. You didn't trust it. And I mean, I look back to the day my mom died the day before my mom died. I knew in my heart that this was it. There was no, there was no dismissing it. I tried and tried for hours and I knew when that phone rang, I mean, I thought to myself, okay, my intuition's off. And that morning I got up and I went and put the rewound the videotape to watch something I had taped the night before. And I was in the kitchen when the phone rang and I went and turned the TV off and everything. Cause I knew on my gut that this call was about her dying and sure enough. So it's like, you have to trust. And that's the problem. Especially coming from trauma, how do you trust what is being presented through the universe when you've been told, do not trust this, do not listen to this? And see, the funny thing is my mom, she used to drag me to go get her cards right. So I would be in these shops in the quarter, in the French quarter, looking around at the cards going, well, these look interesting. But she would never let me do it. But yeah.
1: So how did you hone it? How did you get better at that? I, there are, there's no college to go to or anything. I
0: started, um, <laughs> I started taking an intuition class with the lady who was my reader. She used to host an intuition class in the very first class. This was when, this is when I scared myself. Um, so I'm taking the class with her, and there was only me and another lady at the time. And she's like, can you, all right, what I want you to do now that we've had a little couple of exercises, I want you guys to stand behind each other, put your hands on your shoulder, you know, on the per- other person's shoulder, and then tell me what you're getting. Okay. So she does me. Okay. I start doing her as I'm sitting there telling her all these things. There's no way in hell I could know because it's about her boyfriend and about her son and what they look like. So there's no way I'm going to know any of this. I'm starting to feel this sensation coming up in my abdomen on the left side. It's just this tingling and it's growing as I'm continuing. So all this information is flowing. I'm telling her all this. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And this is growing. And it just got to a point where it was just like, I'm done. I started to scare myself. I'm just like, I'm done. So I stuck it out. I started, nobody really stuck in the intuition class. Every time I went, it was just like something different. Somebody else was there. Well, you finally got a bigger class. But it was always just a running joke between me and the teachers like, oh, yes. And here is Donna. She's here again. So but we would do exercises. We would experiment because there's automatic writing. There's different types of things that you can learn. There's different meditations you can do. You can send energy to people. You can send emotions to people and colors. And there's so many different ways. So I honed my intuition that way. But like the medium stuff, I was sitting there at a house party I was working and somebody's dad came, you know, came through when I'm laying out cards. And it's like, I said, your dad really wants to talk to you. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. Talk, I don't know how to talk to my dad. I'm like, well, your dad wants to talk to you. It's obvious. Well, I don't know how to do that. So by the end of the reading, he was pestering me so bad that it was just like, give me your hands. And I had never done it before. I wasn't sure I could do it. And so I took her hands and sure enough, here we are. I was able to do it. So it was kind of a wild ride. And after that, I was just like, okay. That was a really weird night because the same night at that party, the, the homeowner, the hostess, I read her cards and her kids came up. And the way the reading boils down, there's a focal point of the reading. And I'm telling her about her kids. And she finally says afterwards, it's like 1030 at night. And she's like, I don't care about my kids. I don't care. I want to know about this man. I want to know about this man in my life. And that's the one thing I always tell my clients is like, the the fact of the matter is that center card is what you should be focusing on. And a lot of times we get so caught up in distractions that we're missing what we should be focusing on. So I ran across lady the next day from her party and she didn't really, we talked about something. Cause she was like, you're lot. Li- you're you were wrong about my son. He's getting married today. And I'm like, I didn't say that he wasn't getting married. I was warning her about the woman he was marrying, but that's beside the point. She was so mm. happy that her son was getting married. So about a month, <coughs> two months later, she, we run across each other at the grocery store again. And she's like, I'm glad I saw you. I'm like, why she goes, such and such. Um, the next day after you read her, she ended up getting sick and she went in the hospital and she died. She died of pneumonia. Wow. I'm like, okay. And see, and I, I didn't tell you the fact is when I sat down with her, my energy all of a sudden was drained. Like it went mm. down to almost nothing. And I got wow. out, I left her house and I'm in my car. And my energy is just fine. So wow. it's like, I think there's a lot of times where we are so focused on what we think we should be doing. But the fact yeah. is you need to change it sometimes. So I mean, I look at that reading and I think, okay, well, the good thing is she knew at least that her kids were going to be okay. There was no future with the man. So,
1: so what happens when you see something very bad? I mean, is it difficult for you to relay that to them? Like Um, your father is going to die or your son is.
0: I don't, what I mean, do you- here, here's the thing. Here, there's <clears throat> here's two caveats. When I got my cards read back in 93, I had this reader tell me that two people were going to die. And all that did was play out in my head. It kept playing out. I kept being worried about everybody I knew and nobody died that year, by the way. Um, but it was, and, and that's the thing about it. readings folks, that timing is not everything you have free will. I mean, I, my husband and I are prime examples because I was told that I was going to meet this guy, Um, I didn't meet him until after I left the job. And it turned out that we worked like a block away from each other. Mm -hmm. But at the time I was so focused on somebody else that I didn't see my husband. So, you know, I I always say timing is not everything, but um, where was I going?
1: So what I was asking you is that if you have something bad to relay, how do you handle it?
0: Okay. So, There's only been two times that this has come up. One was for another reader and one was for a friend of a friend and the way the cards came up. And this is the one for the friend of the friend was the first time it ever happened. And I know, I knew what I had gone through. I knew what I had gone through about watching somebody, you know, being told somebody's going to die. So my friend's friend, he had a relative that had gotten into a severe car accident and he wanted to make sure he was going to be okay I'm like all right so he's like and he's just like and the whole thing is I did this whole reading for him he wanted to know all about his life Well, his his friend his relative came up so as I'm reading it I'm like well it looks like he's going to be okay and then some other cards came up and I'm like but then he's not and I never, this was the first time I ever read for somebody that there actually was a physical death. And I, I make it a practice that if, like that guy with the, the heart and the vice grip, I make it a practice that I, especially if I'm working a fair, I'm not going to sit there and tell you, you're going to die. I will not do that. I will not say your mother's going to die. I will recommend you go get help, you know, help. Because I cannot guarantee that this is how this is going to play out. So back to where I was, So I'm like, it looks like he's going to get out, but then it seems like he's going to take a turn for the worse. And, but, you know, I don't, this is my first time. I've only been reading for a short amount of time. And so I guess it was about two weeks later, I get a phone call from my friend saying, oh, such and such is getting out of the hospital. I'm like, thank God I was wrong. I'm really happy I was wrong. The next day I get a phone call saying that he died.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I was just like, okay. So typically a client, I don't want to go there because I, you know, the cards play out really weird. The other person that came close, it was weird because the cards were kind of transverse and the person had a near death experience. She almost died, but she made it through. She rallied back. And that's the way the cards played out. It wasn't that it was going to be that way, that there was going to be an actual death. So it's weird. It's very weird. And so I, like I Were said, you ever wrong? Oh, I'm sure I've been wrong. I mean, I don't know that I've always been right, but I, it's very weird when people, when I scare people. And if I'm sitting there telling them something that their loved one has said, that usually scares them. Um, I don't, have I ever been wrong? I, I'm sure. I mean, here's the problem. I've had readers tell me things like my friend who's a reader. She's an awesome reader. And she read for me December of 2019 or no, 2020. And that reading now is playing out this year instead of last year because timing and our free will can muck up things greatly, but certain things will still come into play in certain ways. And it's very weird because you can push things back because you're not, you don't want to deal with it. And most people don't see that, but you can. I mean, like I was saying about my husband and I, I was told, Oh, you're going to meet somebody. You're going to meet somebody. And I'm like, no. And when, when John and I actually sat down and start talking, it's like, besides finding out because I had to go pick him up from work that we were a block away from each other. And we were going to the same restaurants three years ahead, but we never saw each other. Wow. And then his, my landlord was his old boss when he worked at Wendy's when he was growing up. Wow. And we both worked at Chuck E. Cheese and Kmart. However, I was in Louisiana and he was up here in Illinois. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's certain things I think that are faded. And just like you and I, you're in New York, we've never met, but yet there's a lot of similarities because of our experience. And I think, you know, we, whether it be intuitive, and that's the other thing the universe put, when I first got your listing for the interview, I'm like, oh yeah, I can talk to her. I know exactly. I understand what you've gone through. Maybe not exactly, but I get it. So I knew we would have a good conversation. So I think the universe puts people in front of us that are going to connect with us, whether it be in person or here, or just brings people into our lives to either teach us a lesson or to make us grow or to actually have that partnership. Because the one thing I will say about my husband is, He was the only other person besides my grandmother to truly love me unconditionally. Wow. And that's That's powerful. Yeah.
1: Very powerful. Yeah. And you had that in your life. That's wonderful.
0: And and for 16 years, I had it and it's very hard not to have it. But yeah, I'm grateful that I had it because some people will never get that.
1: Does it come to you?
0: He comes to me in my dreams occasionally, and usually he's eating. Um, The first time he ever came to me in a dream, he had a. I'm like, "What do you want for dinner?" He's like, "I want a bologna sandwich." I'm like, "Out of everything you could have, you want a bologna sandwich?" Um, He's come to me, especially I had some chaos going on in my life in September, and it was right around his birthday, so I was feeling all that, and he showed up and. It was weird because it was a dream about tornadoes and I talked about it on, because I had a dream interpreter on the podcast or a dream worker. And we, we kind of dissected the dream and it was funny because the tornadoes were all around and I'm yelling at him to get in the basement and he's just standing at the door, like, watch. I'm like, no, we need to get in the basement. No, no, watch. And the fact of the matter is the whole key point of the dream was you're going to be okay. There's yeah. tornadoes all over, but you're going to be okay.
1: Right. So it's so nice.
0: I think I mean, I wish he would come more, but, you know, I'll take what I get. He's around me. When I closed up my shop in town because he used to have a space there, I literally felt him behind me rubbing my back mm. because mm. I was right where wow. he, I was in his space. And it's like people can think that's crazy, but I felt his energy and there's been other times. So, you know, we're connected. I don't think
1: I don't think you're crazy. I, I really do believe in it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I would want a reading from you so we can talk about it later. Okay.
0: Okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's totally fine. I'm sorry we have gone so long. It's like an hour and 33.
1: I, I... Uh, and there's nothing to apologize about because, that, I mean, you know, we had a lot to talk about and I'm sure we can but, talk a, but the one a thing, lot more. The one thing we haven't talked about is your book. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my book. Okay, so talking about trauma and uh, anything that has to do with psychology, it's something that I am very familiar with. So that's why I like to write psychological thrillers, anything that has to do with the mind, everything that has to do with problems and how to solve them. And that's what I did. I took that theme and and I wrote a book around it and it's about a woman who wakes up one morning and she believes that her baby, a three or five days old baby, I think five or six days, disappeared with her husband, along with her husband. But when the police comes over to the house, he says, well, where is the baby's clothes? Where is the birth certificate? Where is the, uh, the birth, the, the marriage certificate? Uh, it looks like you're the only one who lives here. Show me something that I can go with. And she says, I don't have anything. And she's like, she's going crazy. What happened here? So now she goes on a quest to, and nobody believes her. Anne doesn't believe her. Friend doesn't believe her. Nobody wants to help her out. So she's on a quest to go and find her baby. And do we believe that she really had a baby? Over and out, period. That's wow. as simple as that. You know, so, yeah. um, yeah. So it's it's that thing that you think you saw something, or did you see something? You think you experienced something, but did you really? Well, it was rem- it real?
0: It reminds yeah. me of the whole Mandela effect about the them uh, starting the hadron collider. That certain things they allege. Have you heard about this? No. Oh, they allege that okay, certain things went after the hadron collider was started and then stopped. That it skewed certain things. That certain things people remember certain things o- about the past that aren't true. And the easiest one, they they, I think it, uh, I think it's Shaq. I want to say it's Shaq. That there was a movie he was in that he wasn't, that doesn't exist. But people swear up and down that that's the way it was and were certain titles this is the way it was but it wasn't i mean there's a whole write-up if you look it up and i don't remember everything off because it's been about two years since i looked at it but they they allege oh, really? that all this thing changed because of them starting the hedron collider
1: how do you spell that uh
0: it's mandela like uh, the mandelas that we oh the, the mandela okay yeah Effect.
1: Okay, I look it up. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: weird, because it's like, well, you know, and, and I mean, it's a very plausible story that you got there, because somebody could that would be a great gaslighting tool. I mean, if somebody could come in, especially nowadays, somebody could come in and wipe some people off without even, you know, and, and really mess with somebody, they easily could do it.
1: Actually, that will be my third book. That's really amazing. That's amazing stuff. I didn't even think about it in those terms. So you see, I learned something now. And I can even write a short story about this is great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm glad Thank I can help. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, you helped me a lot. You really did. It was almost like talking to a therapist, you know, and I don't talk about this stuff anymore. And here we are. Mm-hmm. And and I feel lighter and I feel sunnier and brighter. What else can I say? It was was really nice. That's nice.
0: good. I'm glad you I'm glad you came on the show. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to add, or you you good?
1: No, I'm good. I'm good. We might want to do it another time, and I'll have other stuff to talk about. You know, okay. it's uh, can be all kind of stuff. Uh, okay. We only scratch. I'm sure we only scratch the surface, okay. on, on my end. But I do want a reading from you. So maybe when we get off, you can. Well, we can talk about it or now or however. We
0: will, we will talk about it off air. I'm going to wrap this up because, you know, we, the, the, the the audience does not care about what we're going to do off air. And I, I make a practice, right. unfortunately, of talking to my guests for a while off air because, you know, that's the way it is. But I thank you so much. And there is another book besides Stolen Truth that you have called Blind Pursuit, which is the second book. So mm. you have two books out and you should go find her books and find her articles on her website all the links will be in the show notes and as always guys I thank you for tuning in and hanging out with us. So as I said in the intro it wasn't necessarily the best of times or the worst of times um, for us having a mother that we did. You know it's amazing when you find somebody that has experienced some of the same things and you can sit there and you don't feel so alone you you kind of go, okay, so I'm not the only one that does this. And I know that I'm not the only one that has gone through some of this. And I know that people have had it worse than I have. And I'm sure Henny would say the same thing. But, you know, you have to look at the positive that you overcame these things. You You came out on the other side as a stronger person. And I think it's important that you embrace that. You embrace that strength. You embrace that courage. And understand that, you know, life is okay. You move on. You heal. But you have to always be aware that maybe, just maybe once in a while, something's going to pop up and it's going to bring you back to that moment. And if it does, it's okay. Just recognize it for what it is. Embrace it. Well, not totally embrace it. Embrace that you recognize it. And then move on. Take another step. It's that pothole thing I've talked about before. You know, Don't fall into the pothole all the way. Catch yourself before you fall. Then eventually, you'll start going around that pothole. When you see that pothole coming up, if it's a person, you go, no, thank you. I'm walking this way. So just pay attention to the people around you, the things around you. And if you find yourself in a situation that feels familiar, but it feels like it's going to be toxic for you, then remove yourself because you don't need to be part of that. You need to be able to be free. And that's kind of important to motivate yourself and to move forward. You need to make sure that you are actually in a clear headspace. because sometimes when we start getting that past talking to us, the past trappings, we end up blocking ourselves. So move forward, but do it with an open heart and open mind and know That guess what you are worthy you are worthy of love you're worthy of being accepted and cared for not only by others but by yourself because really that's where it's all got to start from in your heart so on that note i hope you enjoyed today's show i'm sorry i went off a little bit on the metaphysical realm but you know it's always fun to talk about that stuff I do enjoy doing it, whether I admit it or not before, but I do, and I have for a long time. So anyway, I'm digressing again. If you want to be a guest on the show, or you have a question, comment, or you want to give me a review. Well, reviews you can do on Podchaser or Apple, and I think Google maybe. But if you have a question, comment, or you want to be a guest in the show, please do not hesitate to reach out to Donna, D-A-U-N-A, at BetterToPodcast.com. That's Donna at BetterToPodcast.com. If you missed an episode and you're like, this is your first one, you're going, hey, I really want to listen to the rest. You can find them at www.BetterToPodcast.com. That's BetterToPodcast.com. On that site, we have all of our social media links As well as, hmm, oh, a Patreon page. That's right. If you want to support the podcast, because, you know, it does take a village sometimes to help. Anyway, that's my shameless plug and I apologize, but, you know, it's true. So even your reviews for the show would be an awesome, awesome thing. So on that note, yes winding down now. I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, whenever you're watching. If it's the weekend, a weekend. If you're binging, awesome. I appreciate you. And I guess I'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. <laughs> The Better Two podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Rich Zai of Third Ear Audio Productions.